I've talked about this guy, Doug Wilson, up in Idaho. like him very much. He has a blog, and of course he answers questions. And he answered a question about Shabbat, and it just went tilt. And since Shabbat has come up in the context of Colossians in Midrash a couple of times, and Doug Wilson just sort of went off into the weeds. Don't get me wrong, I still like Doug Wilson. He's excellent on the culture and those kinds of things. But he is a Calvinist, and he does have it completely wrong on Shabbat. So I want to talk about that and why he's wrong, how we got there, and what we're doing about it. So a guy wrote to him and said, I've been reading Colossians, and I can't get my head around it about the Shabbat. And his answer is, and I quote, different aspects of the OT law are fulfilled in Christ in different ways. We keep the Passover now by getting rid of the yeast of malice and wickedness. And because the seventh-day Sabbath was nailed to the cross, it rose again as the Lord's Day on the first day of the week. I keep the Sabbath, yes, but it is a resurrected Sabbath. So let's start with Colossians, and then we'll move on from there. We're in Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceits according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. And there's a slightly different translation if you got King Jimmy. In King Jimmy, it's beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. That's the same. According to the basic principles of the world and not according to the Christ. There's a slightly different translation. One is elemental spirits. The other one is basic principles. But the thing to understand, starting off, is you need to understand who Paul's writing to. Paul and Peter, Peter has the franchise to the circumcised. So his letters are to Hebrews, and so he writes as if they understand the Bible, Torah. Paul's ministry is to Gentiles. So he writes to them as if they don't understand nothing, because they don't. They have come in from paganism and so forth. They don't know what's going on. So Paul has to explain it to them in a slightly different way than Peter does. And by the way, your authority for that is Galatians, where Paul specifically says what I just said. So the problem here is he's writing to Gentiles, and he's saying, let no one take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. So the subject here is Gentiles. The problem is human tradition. And you can follow along in Colossians if you like. So down to verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Notice we're talking about uncircumcised people. Gentiles. This is the audience of the letter. We're going to say this several times, and it's important that you understand the audience. Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses and this uncircumcision of your flesh again notice uncircumcision here again talking to Gentiles so you who were dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses so the problem is we are trespassing trespassing against what? The Torah. 
the law because that's where God defines what right and wrong is. So the trespass is against the law. So God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he has set aside nailing it to the cross. That's the passage that Doug Wilson is citing. I will gently suggest, in fact, I won't gently suggest, I'll just flat tell you, the thing that is nailed to the cross is not the law, it is the record of your offense. That's what the grammar says. And the example I use all the time is if you walk into a store and you walk out with a flat screen TV, unless you're a member of BLM, you'll get arrested. And having been arrested, they will write up charges against you. And let's say that the mayor, the governor, somebody who has authority says, no, we will pardon that man. The thing that gets nailed to the cross and, and abrogated is your record of offense. If you go in next week, if you're not a member of BLM, and you boost another television, you'll get arrested again. The law is not what is done away with. Your ticket or your arrest warrant or whatever you describe, that's what's done away with. And that's important because a lot of our Sunday brethren come to this passage and say, it's all been nailed to the cross. We don't have to do anything with it anymore, the Torah. That's not what it says. And I'll read it again in New King James, which is slightly different, but it says the same thing. So New King James, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, still talking to Gentiles, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespass, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. That is your arrest warrant. That is your speeding ticket. That is whatever was written down because you violated some law. So having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. It being the speeding ticket, the arrest warrant, whatever it is. He has not nailed the statute to the cross. You can get your Bible in whatever translation and you can find the same thing. Moving on to verse 15 in Colossians. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, which is to say principalities and powers, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. That again is where most of our southern brethren hit reset and say that's all done away with. Let's continue to read. Verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Completely agree with that. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Worship of angels. Where's that in the Torah? It isn't. Where's that in Judaism? It isn't. What we're talking about here is human or demonic principles that they are being harassed for not following. And the example I use, you all are sitting here on Shabbat, so I know I'm talking sort of to the choir. I suspect that most of you come from mixed families, which is to say you've got relatives, friends, mothers, fathers, brothers, and sisters who are Sunday Christians. God bless them. 
How many of you get flack for sitting here on the Sabbath? How many of you get flack for not having a Christmas tree? How many of you get flack for not celebrating Easter? How many of you get flack for celebrating Passover and the feasts? So what's going on here is these folks have started to follow Torah. Sabbaths, new moons, etc. And they are getting flack from their former pagan friends. And I will give you a scripture for that, by the way. Peter. 1 Peter 4, verses 3 through 5. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Remember, Peter is writing to the circumcised. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. In other words, what you have are Gentiles who have become Christians, who have stopped doing the stuff that they used to do, and they're catching flack from their former friends and companions and their families. That's what's being talked about here in Colossians. So back to Colossians. Let's pick it up at 18 again. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, again, in King Jimmy it will be principles of the world, slightly different translation. So if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Now, what happens here is Sunday Christians, God bless them, will say, well, Jews got all these regulations about what you can't handle, what you can't touch, and so forth. Absolutely true. Therefore, it must be referring to Jews. No, it's not. Pagans have the same kind of things. Every religion has strictures about what you can do, what you can't do, what you can handle, what you can't handle. All that stuff goes with any religion. We're not talking about Judaism here. What we're talking about is their former pagan associates. 22. Referring to things that all perish when they are used, the things that you're not supposed to taste, handle, or touch, according to human precepts and teaching. So let me read this again now. If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Commandments and doctrines of men. In other words, we are not talking about the law of Moses, which is given by God. We are talking about human laws and regulations, which are set up by whatever religion they used to be part of. 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. Pagans are not stupid. They learn things and they incorporate them into their religion, and they're not stupid. These are bright people. How many people study... Confucianism or any of those kinds of things, and oh, there's a lot of wisdom there. There absolutely is. These are bright folks. These indeed have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion 
and asceticism and severity to the body, but there is no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So all of this is talking about human religion, paganism in this case. It is not talking about Judaism. It is not talking about Torah. That's exegesis of Colossians 2. And as I say, you all have a copy of the Bible somewhere. You can read it yourself. So now let's talk about what's going on here. The question that we're really dealing with here is Christianity a different religion or is Christianity basically a continuation of Judaism and Torah as given by Moses? That's your question. And I will suggest it, and in fact I'll tell you, it is a continuation of the religion given by Moses at Mount Sinai, and it just flows. The Messiah, Christ, Yeshua, is the logical extension as was predicted by the prophets and as was fulfilled in his life and work. As I've said many times, there's nothing new in the New Testament. The New Testament, testament, the word means witness, testimony, as in a church. So the New Testament is the testimony of the life of Messiah and the fact that he fulfills the prophets and the fact that he does the things that God said he was going to do. Nowhere does Messiah change anything in the Torah. He expands on it. He teaches about it. He talks about it, but he doesn't change it. Now, let's say that Yeshua is the Son of God. Let's say that he rose from the dead. Let's say, if you're Trinitarian like I am, he's God himself. Let's say all that. Before he dies, you can say, all right, I'm a good Jew and I'll keep doing all this stuff. But boy, once they kill me and raise me from the dead, all bets are off because they can't do anything else to me. And here I am, resurrected. I have got a resurrection body. I'm the guy that can appear in locked rooms. And oh, by the way, guys, because of that, we're going to change the Sabbath. We're going to move the Sabbath to the day I was raised from the dead. I've got the authority to do that. I'm going to do it. Did he do that? No. Could he have done that? You bet. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's God himself. He has the authority because he's the one that set it up to begin with. So if he had wanted that to happen, the ideal time is when he's got all of his disciples gathered together in a locked room. He said, all right, guys, here's the change. This Jewish stuff is dead. We're not going to do that anymore. Sabbath is now going to be Sunday, and off we're going to go. He could have said that. He didn't. By the way, nor does anybody else in the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, anywhere. It does not change. So how did it get changed? And by the way, I will gently suggest to you that Sabbath is a big deal to God. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And by the way, it is explained differently in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. The two statements of the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath is different. In Exodus 20, it's remember the creation. Remember the Sabbath. I'm the God that created you. I did everything. Remember the creation, because that's when I set up the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy 5, it says, guard the Sabbath. 
And the reason it says guard the Sabbath is because that's when I took you out of Egypt and I made you free. So the Sabbath is a memorial of creation and it's a memorial of freedom and liberty. It is also a statement or a sign of what God are you worshiping. Let's go to Exodus 31.12. The Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So it is a sign between Israel and God that he is their God. Big deal. Ezekiel 20. This is God speaking through the prophet. And I said to their children, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourself with their idols. These are their progenitors. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And keep my Sabbaths holy, that they may be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. So keeping the Sabbath is a sign of what God it is you're worshiping. It's a big deal. It's a big deal in the Old Testament. It's a big deal in the New Testament. So what happened? How many of you think Constantine changed the Sabbath? No. Happened long before that. Ignatius of Antioch. Remember, Antioch was Paul's home church. So Ignatius of Antioch wrote a letter in 110 A.D. to the Magnesians. This is, by the way, 200 years before Constantine. If those who have been brought up in the ancient order of things, i.e. converted Jews, have come to the possession of a new hope, no longer observing the Sabbath by living in observance of the Lord's day, on which also your life has sprung up again by him and his death, how shall we, i.e. Gentile converts, be able to live apart from him when even the prophets themselves, also his disciples, waited for him in the Spirit as their teacher? It is absurd to profess Christ and to Judaize, for Christianity did not believe into Judaism, but Judaism into Christianity. So what he's saying here is, do not keep the Sabbath. Council of Laodicea in 364, canon number 29. This is after Constantine. Christians shall not Judaize and be idle on Saturday, but shall work on that day. But the Lord's day they shall especially honor, and as being Christians shall, if possible, do no work on that day. If, however, they are found Judaizing, they shall be shut out from Christ. These are the church fathers. And by the way, that's why your Sunday brethren are so nervous about the Sabbath. Because they've read the Bible, and at one level they see in the Bible that the Sabbath is a big deal. On the other side, the church fathers, whom they also have been taught by, are saying, if you start doing this, you lose your part in Christ. They see it as a salvation issue, many of them. There's a great deal of fear associated with this. Now, let me ask you a question. Think back on all of the interactions that Yeshua had with the Pharisees. In virtually every case, what he was doing was he was slapping them around because by their traditions and their oral law, they had changed Moses. Classic example is 
Moses says in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother. You say that if you've dedicated your money to the temple, then you're free from spending it on your parents. And by your traditions, you have made null the law of God. So Yeshua is in there slapping these guys around because what they have done is they have substituted a man-made religion for Moses, which was given by God slash Yeshua. I believe Yeshua was the voice that they heard. So my question to you then is, if the rabbis were not authorized to make changes in the law of Moses, what in the world gives the church fathers the ability or the authority to change the Sabbath? And my answer to you is nothing. They assumed and arrogated that authority themselves in the exact same way the rabbis did. It's a human phenomenon. People do that. The Jews do it. The Christians do it. And in neither case is there any authority for what they have done. It's simply a tradition. And what I'm going to suggest to you very strongly is the Sabbath indeed has not been done away with and is still binding on us. Now, why did they make those changes? Well, Ignatius was speaking 30 years after the destruction of Jerusalem. And the Council of Laodicea was after the Bar Kokhba rebellion when we had the Romans come in and stomp all over a Jewish rebellion. So all these Christians are saying, hey, Romans, uh, we're not Jews. That's not us. You don't need to stomp on us. Stomp on them Jews over there. In other words, it's political. It's political. Didn't help them, by the way. They still got fed to the lions. But the point is, there's politics involved in all of this. People will do what they need to do very often in order to save themselves. And as I say, it didn't work in this case. So the Sabbath hasn't been changed. The Sabbath is still a big deal. Does the Sabbath apply to Gentiles? Yes, it does. I will read you another passage of Scripture, Isaiah 56. And the foreigners who have joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And oh, by the way, if you think that's Old Testament stuff, Yeshua himself repeats it. When he's cleaning out the temple, this is Mark 11:17, And he was teaching them, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. So does the Sabbath apply to Gentiles? Yes. Does the Sabbath apply to Jews? Yes. Does the Sabbath apply to Christians? Yes. That's why you all are sitting here on a bright, beautiful Saturday morning. Your Sunday brethren have been, for lots of reasons, misled. And going back to Doug Wilson, I like Doug Wilson. I will continue to read his stuff. He's a good guy. But he has been taught by people he trusts that it's been changed. He's wrong. But he loves God. And by all indications that I've seen, he's a great pastor. So I'm not speaking against 
these people that have been deceived for generations by people they trust. That's what's going on. Now, worship has always been political. So you have the destruction of Jerusalem, which destroyed Jerusalem and the Jews. And then you had the Bar Kokhba rebellion in uh, 124 to 133. And in all cases, it's instigated by religion. That's why states try and create their own religion. So the Romans, for example, had the cult of Caesar, where they deified the Caesar, and everybody once a year, twice a year, I don't remember, had to come in and offer a memorial pinch of incense to Caesar. Pharaoh declared himself a god. Nebuchadnezzar got too big for his britches and wound up eating grass like a cow for several years. God straightened him out. Religion has always been a big deal. And one of the things that's happened in the United States is the church has been neutered by the IRS. That happened in the Johnson administration, where they said, we'll give you a tax-exempt status in exchange for which you stay out of politics. Religion is intensely political. That's the whole point of religion. How do we live together as people? How do we organize? How do we set up our government? If it is not informed by religion, it is going to be informed by something else. And I will gently suggest what it's being informed with right now is not anything I like. So understand that it starts with Sabbath. Sabbath is a big deal. You all are keeping Sabbath. The changes to the Sabbath are made without authority. And they were made by perhaps well-meaning people who were dealing in political realities. The separation between the synagogue and the church was by mutual consent. Jews didn't like the Christians, the Christians didn't like the Jews, and they separated. So lots of historical stuff there. Go back to Moses. The Sabbath never has been changed. And the Sabbath to God is a big deal for Jews, for Christians, for Gentiles, everybody.